Look, payday's awesome, but running payroll, calculating taxes and deductions, staying compliant, that's not easy. Unless, of course, you have Gusto. Gusto is a simple online payroll and benefits tool built for small businesses like yours. Gusto gets your team paid while automatically filing your payroll taxes. Plus, you can offer benefits like 401k, health insurance, and workers' comp, and it makes onboarding new employees a breeze. We love it so much, we really do use it ourselves, and we have four years, and I personally recommend you give it a try, no matter how small your business is. And to sweeten the deal, just for listening today, you also get three months free. Go to gusto.com slash boss. That's gusto.com slash boss. Hello, and welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. I'm Emily Thompson. And I'm Kathleen Shannon. I'm Hallie Gray, and I'm Being Boss. Hey guys, today we're talking about selling and launching with our friend Hallie Gray. As always, you can find all the tools, books, and links we reference on the show notes at www.beingboss.club. Hey bosses, there are a couple of tools that we use in our business on a weekly basis, from accounting software to content schedulers. And one of our favorites that we've been using for years is Edgar, a social media scheduling tool that helps us stay on top of sharing all of our episodes, blog posts, events, and resources with those who follow us on social media. One of my favorite things is how when we record a great podcast, it doesn't fall out of reach as soon as a new one is released. Edgar helps us keep our old but still really great content alive by cycling through everything we've published all the time. Try Edgar for two weeks free, no credit card required at www.meetedgar.com slash being boss. All right. If you guys want months of clients booked in advance, meet Holly Gray of Evolve and Succeed. She teaches coaches, designers, and VAs how to launch their services in her signature program, Be Booked Out. And we're going to chat about all the things. Holly, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I love you guys, and I'm so excited to be here. Ah, we love you. So the last time we chatted with you... We were shit-faced. Yeah, we were all shit-faced. I'm surprised (laughs) we remember that we were shit-faced because we were pretty bad. (laughs) I mean, okay, so you do this thing called drunk webinars. Are you still doing drunk webinars? We are. We've had to do a different format because, uh, you know what, doing four drunk webinars back-to-back is basically like a a death note. (laughs) What? Yeah, yeah. Because every day I would do a new one and, you know, we had an epic one. But uh, after a while, my liver started to hurt pretty bad. So we're pre-recording them and putting them out as like a YouTube series. So we we were supposed to show up for a one-hour webinar where we were going to like drink (laughs) and hang out. Three and a half hours later, (laughs) not only were we still here doing it, but like most of the people were still like on, also getting kind of shitty. Also some people that were completely sober just laughing at us, but they were still all hanging out with us too. It was kind of one of my favorite internet experiences of my life. It's magical. And you, and I still get people being like... So the Being Boss crew was my favorite drug webinar. I'm like, I could totally. I, I Same for me, my friend, because it was so amazing that I was like, what is going on? I remember a lot of talk about, oh, we were going to make you, no, we were, we were trying to get you to sign up to be an astronaut. That's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> And you know what's yeah. so crazy? I mocked up our book cover this week yeah. for our publisher just to kind of give some creative direction. And guess what's on the cover? <gasps> Astronaut? Space. Yes. 
Not an astronaut, but space. That's awesome. Anyway, I mean, (laughs) since then, I mean, we've been putting a lot of space stuff. I don't remember. Okay, so now I'm remembering. It's coming back to me, the astronaut thing. I remember saying one thing snarky, maybe a little snarky, and I've regretted it ever since. Like, and I don't, I don't regret much about like what I say. You know, usually I give myself a lot of grace to sound dumb or say the wrong thing but I think I said something a little snarky what and I've been regretting it ever since you shouldn't but But it's not that big of a deal probably no hopefully not I don't even recall it no Um, that's the beauty of getting drunk is that everything is okay you know well mostly when you say things excuse for everything yeah you're like "Ah." um the thing that I remember most was bacon vaginas God, and we were gonna make bacon vagina emoji. Yes. Yeah. So a couple of weeks later, God. I was flipping through a notebook because, yeah. like, one of the last things you made us do. So we were like two sheets of the wind at this point. Um, was we had to draw what an emoji, like our dream emoji, basically. Yeah. Yes. And Kathleen's or something came up. I think yours was a vagina and mine was bacon it was. or something. It and was. so we made it the bacon vagina. I was flipping through a notebook like several weeks or months later, like a long time afterwards, and I found the bacon vagina. <laughs> and I laughed so hard for so long about that. I mean, like favorite internet experience ever. I, it was so much fun with you two. It was ridiculous. I just remember us. Th- there were Spice Girls as well. And yep, there was also, uh, we were trying to get... Kathleen to sign up to be an astronaut. Right. And then, so, and this is Kathleen going to the NASA website. Really? Legitimately. Where they have a job <laughs> opening for an astronaut and her starting to fill it out live, drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and then I feel like maybe I already made more money than an astronaut does. So I was like, wait a second. That, I think, I think you're hold right. Hold the phone. Yeah, yeah. You're like, A, this doesn't pay very well. And then B, I think their website is so bad. The government website is so bad that we were like, how do you even use this? <laughs> <laughs> love it yeah it we were drunk and judgy yeah we were definitely websites. okay but so today we're completely sober and having um hopefully you're going to have a really good conversation about Quality. selling and launching i mean i feel like we set this up as like listen to us luscious telling you how to run your business <laughs> we just know how to have a good time uh, yeah it's an important part of the business process is to have a good time Relax and let people see you for who you are sometimes, you know? Sometimes you can't get everything on point and you're just got to be a little bit messy. Right? (laughs) And understand there's a time and place for everything. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Time and place for everything. Agreed. Yeah. So if you want to have a drink with me and Emily. Yeah, it's amazing. Hal, you should come too. Let's all go to New Orleans together this fall. I'm so keen. I'm so keen. Have a drink. I was thinking about doing a live round of them because people are like, Chloe, can we do this like face-to-face now? And I'm like, yeah, we should do that. We should just go and do that. That'd yes. be amazing. And then have just like a camera crew there. Actually, Greg from Thinkific was offering his place up in Vancouver to do a live drunk webinar recording, which is like a whole bunch of us like Jill Stanton and uh, you know Paul Jarvis and stuff. So it would be pretty cool to do it live. If you can get Paul Jarvis out of his house. You can't. You can't get Paul out of his house. You'd have to go and kidnap him. <laughs> you'd have, you'd, have, to, you'd have to take a drink to his house. And I feel like he's sober. Yeah, he Am doesn't. He's, wrong that, I and he doesn't even he drink. Is. Yeah, because yeah. he ate Skittles, didn't he? He ate Skittles, yeah, for his drunk webinar because he's allergic to alcohol. Okay, back to selling. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, wait, wait. I can tie this in. (laughs) Aside from hosting drunk webinars, Hallie, tell us about yourself. Okay. (laughs) So to like tie this in for a nice segue, 
Uh, I find that when you're doing something different online, that's when people notice you and that's when you're able to sell to them. So when you get people who, after a while, the internet starts to feel and read and sound all the same. So if you don't take the time to kind of drill into what people want to do for reels and get specific, you end up not getting enough sales. So drunk webinars is a way for people to notice uh, Evolve and Succeed and to see all these amazing smart people being themselves, which makes them love them more. And so that was a way for us to basically tap into that, like wanting to know people who are big, like Emily and Kathleen, and getting to know them at like a personal level. So it feels like you're drinking with them. And so that's a marketing um, strategy we had to be like, we love, we love these people. We want to get their smarts on camera. We want to get goofy with them because sometimes there's not space to be goofy online and be yourself because you're so worried about people. But like when you put it in a safe space and you let people just relax and be themselves, that's really important because not only do they stand up and take notice, but it's different. And being different online, like legitimately talking and doing something different is key for marketing yourself and for eventually selling. So it sounds like Drunk Webinars was a really authentic marketing strategy that I would have never even kind of thought at the top of my mind, oh, this is a marketing strategy. And I think that sometimes the words authentic and marketing strategy feel like an oxymoron. So I'm curious to hear from you um, how you approach authentic marketing. And maybe authentic isn't even the right word. Like maybe that word makes you cringe. I bet it's making a lot of our listeners cringe because it's being so overused at this point. So how do you keep your marketing strategies real and genuine and in that place where you're really connecting? So long-term... It's, uh, it's a marketing strategy because we get all these smart people and we get to unlock all their smarts and their, a little bit of their secrets, you know, get them to sign up to be astronauts. But when it comes to like standing out online, authentic makes me cringe because people, if you're just being yourself, you're being authentic and that's not necessarily a marketing strategy. So what Drunk Webinars was is an example of a marketing strategy and it's kind of more like a PR campaign, but Basically, you're saying, okay, specifically, what does one person want and how can I provide that? And so what I saw a lot of people online wanting and what I myself wanted to do was that uh, sometimes you're so, people who have been doing this for so long get asked the same interview questions all the time. And so their personalities become more two-dimensional the more they get interviewed. And so I saw that being a disconnect from people who are big names and being a disconnect from people who are just starting up is that you have this same questions being asked over and over again, which solidifies and cements that same online persona, and it starts to feel like a trap. So I wanted to kind of break down that wall and do it in a way that felt safe, it felt goofy, it felt like you could just be yourself. And so not only did it make the big names feel closer to the people who are just starting, but it made the people who are just starting feel more comfortable trusting the big names. So it not only becomes like a marketing PR strategy for Evolve and Succeed, but it becomes it for everybody who become who comes on Drunk Webinars because now their audience trusts them 10 times more because they've seen them when they're their goofiest. You know, they've seen them when they're smiling and laughing and trying to be making emojis. So it makes everybody kind of, it makes the internet feel closer and feel like, uh, like it has less walls and barriers for just being, being yourself. And so that's specifically what I wanted to accomplish from drunk webinars is to kind of break down those interview walls that people have put up and those persona walls. And long-term it's just more about, um, doing that for the internet as a marketing strategy and showing that that's an evolutionary step you can take. And so it's more about getting specific and drilling into specific pain points and problems and solutions you want to create instead of just being like, I'm going to run a podcast because there's brilliant people already doing podcasts. So why don't you kind of find a way to use that to 
achieve a certain goal. And so that's what I was trying to do is when you're getting specific about your marketing and your, your goals, you just need to get really specific so that you can come up with something new and creative. I love that. I mean, so often, I mean, all over the place, we see people who are doing the thing, but it's the same thing that five other people did before them, or maybe even just one other person did, did before them. But if everyone were to take some moments to get really clear about what it is that not only they want to provide, but what the people who are listening to them want from them, that's where you get those like really great little nuggets of ideas that turn into a thing that is unlike anything you've seen out there. This is something that Kathleen and I bring into everything we create from our individual businesses, but specifically and especially into being boss and how we bring things together for what we create here. We see the inundation with copycats all over the web and definitely see the value in taking some moments to pause and come up with a thing that is so you and so like and not even so you because like if I think of me like I'm a much more of a hermit than I feel like this podcast probably <laughs> yeah we're all gonna on. be sitting on Emily's porch <laughs> having tea with her hey you know what yes. though like maybe that's actually a really great marketing right idea. oh I love that a ton good I would be much more comfortable with that but see even then like that's so yeah. out of the norm mm-hmm. um and it takes like a moment of reflection to really see that it's easy to copy someone else it's easy to do the same thing as everyone else it takes a moment and it takes some like self-reflection which a lot of people have struggles with to really get creative with what you can do that plays to your own strengths and plays to your people's pain points that's really different from everything that's out there yeah exactly and I think that's what a lot of marketing is missing nowadays it's copy-paste marketing. So they just do the same thing. They say the same thing. They offer the same thing. And unfortunately, marketing is really effective and powerful. Once you get specific and drill into a specific person, it's like getting a present for your best friend. You wouldn't just get them a generic present you picked up at the grocery store. You would have it like, you spend a lot of time thinking about it, a lot of time figuring out like what they would want, what they like, how you could surprise them. And a lot of people are just doing generic marketing, which is like, whatever, I'll just get you whatever present I can find. <laughs> so, But I wonder if it's a little bit of a blend of both in some ways. I'm thinking about going to art school and I had my foundations class where I'm learning how to copy the masters in my first year of school. And in that way, I'm able to learn the techniques and, and what makes those masters so great. Then in years two, three, and four, I'm really able to start to bring my own voice to the equation. And so I think that uh, having a good foundation and going through a program can be a really great way to get that foundation without all the pressure that can paralyze you um, to being innovative. Like thinking about, you know, even just talking about drunk webinars, if I start thinking, well, shit, what's my drunk webinar? Like I automatically start to lock myself in to um, pairing my next offering against your genius offering. So even if it's not a copy of Drunk Webinar, which could in fact be tea on Emily's Porsche, <laughs> vodka, it would definitely be spiked. <laughs> but it's more like, um, it's more like uh, being innovative on your own terms. So I just want to share a little bit maybe about how Emily and I have done this in a way that didn't feel 
paralyzing. And for us, it was simply taking some combined experiences, like what we had created online, what we had created offline with the Being Boss New Orleans vacation, and asking ourselves, how do we combine the best of these two experiences into one big experience? How do we bring offline vibes into an online space? through our unique experience. And so it's kind of by posing the question that we were really able to get innovative within that space versus what's my next drunk webinar or what's the next B-school or, you know, all the things that people really admire and strive to be, which is okay too. But it's like, how how do you get into that space of innovation? So I'd love, Hallie, to hear from you. Like, how do you get into that space of innovation? Like, where you even start thinking about what you want to create in a really unique way. Yeah. So I think a couple of things that you have to do is like, first off, you need to know the rules to break the rules because otherwise you're just, you're just, you know, going in circles. And second, constraint is really important for creativity. A lot of people think that you need like a never ending source of supply and time and resources, but actually when you're limited, that's when you get your most creative. So what I would say is that when I come down to it, I really, the best way that I get most creative when it comes to coming up with this stuff is thinking of one specific person or maybe thinking of myself in the past and really drilling into like what is going on in their brain right now. Like where are they? Where do they want to be? How does it world look from their eyes? And then thinking to myself, how could I solve that with what I have in my fingertips? Because creativity is kind of an equation when you think about it. Like I just said, okay, I want to run webinars. Um, I want them to be interviews. I don't want them to be like every other interview out there because that's boring and a waste of everybody's time. So how do I get it to be unique? Well, I make it unstructured. I add in alcohol because that's where everybody gets a little bit goofy and they like relax because interviews are stressful. So I was like, okay, how do I solve the problem of people relaxing online when they've just talking to a stranger? So add in that sweet alcohol and then, yeah, and then I was like, okay, great. Well, then I'll just put all of these components together. I can, do, I have to do it online, so it has to be the webinar. And then I'll go and I'll launch that. And that's how I approach it is I just take the different components of the problem and the different aspects of it, turn it into parameters to create this solution that allows me to create something new. And the more specific I can get about the person I'm doing it for, or the person I want to include, I feel like the more creative I get. The things that have been the most creative have been the ones that have been around a specific person and their situation, their pain points, you know, what they're trying to achieve. And that's where I really, my brain sparks because it's a problem solving brain. So anything that I can get really specific with and get specific data around, then I can solve. But if it's too generic, then I just, I stall. I love that. This is an exact exercise that I do, or I used to at least do with my with my indie shopography clients, was making them literally write out like this dream customer avatar, like this one person. Like what is their name? How old are they? What do they do? What are their hobbies? Where do they grocery shop? Like getting so specific with those details. And it can either be someone you know for real or a combination of a couple people or something you totally make up and then solve their problem. Every email that you write, write it to that person. And whenever you do that, whenever you give yourself those constraints, you give yourself so much more clarity around how it is that you can serve that person and anyone who has pain points that are similar to that person. I think that's a really powerful exercise for anyone to do if you're wanting to create something that solves a problem. Yeah, agreed. And it's brilliant. All right. So one more question around drunk webinars. And then I want to talk about bringing this vibe into our sales pages and all of our launches and all the things. But with drunk webinars, I think that whenever we do something, even if it's not as scandalous as alcohol might be, um, there is this sort of vulnerability around 
paving your own way. And there's this fear that comes from being the person ahead of the pack, right? So specifically with drunk webinars, like at any point were you like, oh man, this might make some people mad. I mean, I've had people stop listening to being boss whenever I mentioned having a drink before a photo shoot. And that's just like one glass of wine. <laughs> so at any point were you like, oh my God, this could really alienate some people or piss some people off. Did it piss anyone off? Like what, what has been your experience with that? And like kind of just leaning into that, that risky feeling of it. Well, and I think like being creative in a way that to some people can be seen as taboo, I think is like the important thing there where you're thinking so outside the box that you could piss someone off. <laughs> uh, well, I find that people get most upset with me when it comes to my swearing and the drinking on drunk webinars. And so I have had guests on who haven't drunk, drink, drank, drunk, um, because <laughs> yeah, drink, drink. <laughs> I'm sober, I promise. Uh, but the thing is, is that um, I mean, when I was in college, I never drank. I was always the sober person, walking people home or giving them a ride home. And so the alcohol isn't the focus about making alcohol cool. The alcohol is the focus of being like we are just being ourselves right now. We are not doing anything special. We are just being our 100 percent ourselves. And so. There are people who are upset because they're like, I don't drink. I don't think you should promote drinking. And I'm like, well, that's fine. I don't think you have to drink. But we are going to go and relax and talk like we talk usually without any filters. And that's the point of this experience. So if you want to drink water, I'm 100% behind you. If you want to have a glass of red, go for it. I'm not going to judge you if you don't want to do it. But don't come over here and start judging me because this is the point of it is to be yourself and to see someone in a, in a relaxed, uninhibited light. So... I love that. So it's about, so really it's about being so clear about your intentions that any sort of retort can be easily brushed off and not like brushed off. And actually, I don't care. Brushed off in whatever way you need to. Um, I think that's a really powerful thing. Like so many people, so many people do things and then fear standing up for it. I think if you're going to do something, be willing to stand up for it or don't do it. Um, I think that's, I don't know, just such an important part of being boss and putting yourself out there and creating something that hasn't been created before. You have to believe in it or don't bother. Or at least stand by it because sometimes it can be hard to believe in it when you get so many negative emails because people who love it, yes. they love it. So they don't bother telling you that they love it. So everyone who has a problem with it lets you know. And so in the face of all this peer pressure or social pressure to conform and to just shut up and talk, you know, talk politely and drink water – Especially I feel like, and I don't know if this is true, but I feel like for a woman, it's definitely like twice as much pressure because, you know, I swear like a sailor, but if you have somebody like Gary Vee who's swearing, that's why people go and watch him, you know? And I don't imagine he's getting as many emails as I am about being like, hey, don't swear. That's not how you do it online. I'm like, I'll tell you the fucking rules for doing it online. I swear because that's the way I want to do it. And that's how everybody who follows me wants me to do it. So if you don't like a salty sailor, keeps keep moving so <laughs> amen yeah i agree with that okay let's start bringing some of this saltiness <laughs> to sales pages bring it <laughs> So obviously there's these promotional campaigns. And, you know, even as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about stuff like hashtag campaigns, for example. Okay, let's just case study this out. Like, what would you say to someone 
me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, I see everyone doing hashtag campaigns and that's really cool, but I don't want to do a hashtag campaign like everybody else. Like, what would your starting point there be? Well, I would go back to what um, Emily was talking about, which is that who are you actually trying to reach? And do they actually take a look at hashtags? Because if they're not, then that's an easy one to like scratch off your list and be like, nope, don't need to worry about that. Because if they never follow a hashtag campaign, you don't need to do it. And it's a waste of your time. But what I would say is that like that one person is going to dedicate, like that's what you should be dedicating your whole marketing campaign and plan around and how you want to approach it. So if they're not in hashtags, I'd ask where, where else are they? Um, and so when it comes to that, that's really scary for a lot of people for, you know, us three, we've been doing it for ages. And I think that's why our businesses have moved forward so much, but I would say first off, qualify who you're trying to actually hit and, or, you know, get their attention from and then move forward. So yeah. So if the person was actually using hashtag campaigns, then I'd be like, okay, great. Then which ones have they interacted with the most? Like, what are they dealing with that we can kind of pinpoint with a hashtag that would get them and grab them by the cojones, you know, like. Where could we get them that other people are just kind of hitting them over and over again with and pummeling them with the same information? Because that's going to be our advantage for, you know, quick marketing or agile marketing. All right, you guys, imagine this. You're racing against the clock to wrap up three projects. You're prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to life as a freelancer, small business owner, boss who's wearing all the hats. Challenging, yes, but our friends at FreshBooks believe the rewards are worth it. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for the self-employed. So to meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. The all new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's packed full of powerful features. You can create and send professional looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. You can set up online payments and with just a couple of clicks, get paid up to four day faster. And you can see when your client has seen your invoice, putting an end to all the guessing games. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and enter beingboss in the how did you hear about us section. Let's move on to sales pages. You have had a very successful sales page conversion. So that means someone going from looking at the sales page to buying the product, right? Tell us a little bit about that. So the sales pages I use uh, have the capacity to turn people who are strangers into buyers or clients pretty much from like going from Twitter to your sales page. Um, And that's unusual because people don't really want to give you, they don't want to give you their money if they've never met you before. So what I find with most sales pages is people try to convince you on a sales page that you should be buying something. And that is literally the wrong way that you should be approaching it. Because once someone's hit your sales page, they want to buy it. So that's a whole different conversation that you should be having. It's like, you know, it's sales pages are a place for you to say like, this is right for you if you hit these, you know, parameters and this is what's going to happen once you give me your money and this is what we're going to accomplish and this is how you should get excited and this is what you should expect and here's how you pay me. And a lot of people try to use them to be like, if you need this, then you're probably in the right place. And so that sort of passive language and tone ends up creating a Um, very ambiguous place, which makes people just walk away. Whereas if you're on your sales page being like, this is for you, I know this is for you because you're the person that I wrote this specifically for, 
then that person and everybody like that person is going to be like, you're right, that is for me. And so it makes it very easy for them to say, yes, I want to be a part of it or no, I need to wait on it or no, I need to walk away. So um, yeah, so sales pages from the perspective, I find that they need to be shorter than most people have out there. I find videos. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Don't make me read a novel just to figure out how I give you my money. This isn't some sort of weird puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a seek and find. I'm going to start like like hiding like little kittens and like weird shit in there and then give them a list of, to go find them because I don't know what else we're going to use all that space for. Now that's, that's some idea. innovation yeah. right there. Right? Oh my no gosh. No one steal that idea. I'm going like circa 1994 highlights on you guys. It's going to be amazing. I love highlights. I still love highlights. Right? No, but I, I love that shift in perspective of they're already there to buy. And I think that's the thing that I see so many attitudes that hold creative entrepreneurs back. And one of them is almost apologizing, like reading sales pages that feel apologetic. Like, I know you're here and I'm sorry for taking up space and I'm sorry that I want your money, <laughs> but but maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and I say this like mockingly. I, this is something I go through. I've yeah. been through it. Mm -hmm. I've been through these feelings. So I, I know it so well because I've been there. So I love even just that simple shift of going from being apologetic to being really confident that they're already there to buy. They just need you to get them to click the button buy. And how do you do that? So how do you do that? First off, there's so many things I could rant about with sales pages, so I'll try to keep the ranting face down because I'm clearly already getting wound up a little bit. Yes, definitely. And when it comes to it, your sales page is your salesperson. So even if you're not confident in your offer, your salesperson can be confident in your offer because you're setting them up to sound confident. So there's like linguistic cues when it comes to the words you choose and the verbs you choose and how you structure your sentences and how you structure your sales pages that make you seem confident and then make you seem passive, which passive equals weak. Okay. So like what? Okay. So anything where you're like, you will in the future, that's passive language. Okay. You're making it, creating a actual like temporal distance between the person and what you're talking to them to. So that seems like a disconnect and it makes it seem less real and less confident. Um, if you use anything passively, so if you're a business owner, that's passive. You should know they're a business owner or not. That's not confident. That's very much like qualifying and you shouldn't be qualifying them on your sales page in terms of like using if you're a business owner, if you're a woman or whatever. Your language should always be um, active language and it should always be focused on the reader because that's what you're wanting to look at. So it should be very strong language in terms of linguistics and it should always be focused on your reader. So it should always be used. Not uh, There should be no eyes in there unless it's like the very quick about blurb. Um, it also, in terms of confidence, should have very short testimonials backing up your results. Like we just launched Be Booked Out and literally the testimonials are just people's faces next to being like, I am booked out for 12 months. I am booked out for six months. They don't need to know the life story of that person. They just need to know that they're getting the results and like to check that they're real. So a lot of people spend a lot of time filling up their sales page with unnecessary testimonials, unnecessary language, and they just keep adding more words in to try and make it seem like it's more legit. But it actually just makes people be like, this is a massive tsunami of words. I'm going to walk away. So that's it. Also being very clear about your price is a confidence thing. So having a very big price, a very big price button and being like, buy this is a confidence um, linguistic cue. And then making sure that you have, again, just very clear language being like, this is what you will get from it. This is what's going to happen. It's very passive and very... So the reason why passive and weak is important on sales pages is because you need to create trust. 
immediately from the first first sentence you have. You create trust by using active, confident language and by being bossy, basically. So what you want to do is make sure that you're getting rid of all that other stuff so that when it comes to someone coming on your sales page, you're like, oh, she knows her shit and she knows that she can she can help me because I can follow her lead. But if you're taking the back foot and being passive and being um, unsure or uncertain or trying to please everybody by being you know, compromising in your opinions on a sales page, you're not going to attract anybody because you're going to come off as, as um, uncertain and too, yeah, just uncertain and not experienced. And you need to be experienced and you need to show that experience on your sales page. If you were to request that someone get their sales page read by someone else before it goes live, who should that person be and what should they be looking for? Um, if you're going to have someone read it, I mean, ideally I would want to read it so I could make sure that you're okay. But <laughs> Everyone send it to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And now my project manager will be like, why did you do that? <laughs> um, so what I would say is get someone who you actually want, like the best trick or hack for this online is to put it in a group where you know your ideal client is hanging out and say like, hey guys, can I just get your feedback on this? Like as a, from a sales page perspective and then take all the feedback from the person who's closest to your ideal client on board and all the other stuff, let it go because that's what's going to throw you astray. You don't want people, all the strangers of the internet telling you what they think because that's as we all know, that's a clusterfuck. So basically what you want to do is make sure that you're get, putting it in a non, uh, non-intimidating manner in front of that person that you want to buy and getting their honest feedback on it. And then you're going to update it to that. But basically you're looking for big buttons, make it easy for them to buy, make it easy for them to know what they're going to get into, um, make it clear about what you're offering, what you're selling by the third paragraph, uh, make it very clear what you're you know, giving them in exchange for their money, make the results clear. Um, so it's about like making sure you're being really clear about the whole process, about the whole thing you're selling them, about the whole value, and then making it really easy to get their money. So I actually have a personal war waged against everyone who has imagined their sales pages. I'm sorry, ladies, if this is you, but when you ask somebody, I say like, imagine your life on a tropical island. It's like, I can't fucking do that because I'm not on a tropical island and I probably haven't been there yet because you're telling me about a result I have yet to accomplish. So how am I supposed to imagine something that I've never done before? And now you're making the client or the reader be like, oh, that's hard. I can't do that. And so when you make a sales page hard to use, read, and digest, you make it hard for them to give you their money. And so that's something that I would be like, is there any of this clear? Do you have to like, did any of your, did your forehead ever wrinkle when you're reading the sales page? Because the forehead wrinkle test is definitely the one that you want to be looking out for. There's going to be a whole slew of forehead wrinkle quizzes on sales pages coming up, I'm sure. (laughs) I have some questions because earlier we were talking about marketing strategies that are innovative and unique and out of the box. It sounds like whenever it comes to sales pages, though, you need to say what you mean with authority, without question, and that maybe there is a little bit of a template to follow that is tried and and true. So is sales, like I'm just trying to, what I'm really trying to ask here is sales pages are not a place to necessarily be clever. 
Or how do you start to inject some of that cleverness or uniqueness or authenticity, for lack of a better word, into your sales page? So I find that creativity and marketing and sales pages are all kind of formulaic. Once you figure out the equation that you need to use, then you can pop in different elements and then you can get creative with it and make it like your own. So it's the same way that you can have like every meal has carbs and fat and protein in it. But what that looks like is different for everyone. So depending on what you use. That is like the best analogy ever, by the way. High five. Continue. (laughs) (laughs) I try. (laughs) Um, So what I would say is you're right. It sounds like, you know, one's, one's more organic and the other one's more cultivated. But actually for a lot of this, it's always going to have steps. It's always going to have a formula. You know, no matter what you put in, you're going to have a different result. So it's going to be more uniquely you. Um, but yeah, so sales pages definitely have a method and a strategy and a structure because the structure for human brains and how they digest information is actually very logical, you know, when it comes to how we want it broken down, like some people want, maybe it switched a little bit, but the overall content that you're providing is required for the human brain to feel comfortable moving forward. So the words you use, the person you target, the imagery you use, the, you know, the benefits you have, all of that will be different based on who you are, what you're offering, who you're offering it for. But the structure will be the same because once you have a structure that works, it usually will and it works on repeat for multiple people. Then you know that you don't need to mess with that structure. You just need to experiment with what's inside of it. Yeah. So that brings us back to finding that creativity in constraints. And this is why I personally love having mentors or buying programs that help give me some structure and guidance and then having fun within that guidance and maybe breaking the rules sometimes to see like, hmm, I have a gut feeling that maybe it would work better if I just did something a little different here. You know, even if it's outside of that structure. And then it kind of goes to Emily's philosophy of testing and changing and experimenting, testing a hypothesis to see what works, but you're only changing kind of like one variable at a time rather than just, I mean, otherwise it feels like you're shooting arrows at moving targets in the dark all the time. Yeah, I think it's really important to note this idea of taking creative license with the things that you learn. I mean, I feel so often you can, you know, you can look at some people's websites or sales pages and tell exactly what program they went into that got them to this result. But where you find true success is where you take those models as as suggestions or guidelines and then you take creative license to make them your own. That's where the magic happens. You know, one thing I really like doing whenever I'm going through learning these things is I like to think, okay, from scratch, here's probably what I would have done. And really writing that out because there are some good things in that. And then looking at the guidance or what a mentor or what a program might tell me to do and see where are the overlaps and where are the disconnects and what can I tweak to my original plan or what can I hook in from my original plan into this formula. And I think that's the way that I really like to come up with things that are I mean, researched and proven and work with my own creative spin on it. That makes sense. That's good. And I mean, everything needs a first draft, right? So there's no, why not do a brain dump and come up with your own, hear what you're saying first or what you're thinking first, and then finding a way to make it work inside of a structure you want to test? Because I think that's true. I mean, I think you need to trust the method and, you know, follow it and do the process so that you can test it to see if it works for you. But at the same time, you also need to make sure that you're being very honest about you and your business because, you know, a lot of times people just are like, tell me what to do. And it's like, well, you need to know who you're selling to first. So that's something that I can't do for you. That's your own unique step. So 
you can't ignore that data because that's a massive amount of data that you have existing. So you do need to tap into that first and then apply it to a new process or method. And I'd like to say a really good like test to see if you've targeted in enough. If you say that your dream customer is between the ages of 18 and 55, <laughs> you're not there. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's so, that's so, uh, preach it, preach it. <laughs> right? I mean, the way you market to someone who's like 20 is very different from the way you market someone who's 30 or 40 or 50. And so whenever you have that sort of broad, like I'm for everyone sort of mindset, you're speaking to no one in particular. So no one can see themselves in that place. And that's good. Test yourself. Go back and look at all your stuff. And if you're saying you have a range greater than like 10 years, <laughs> you have not targeted in enough. Okay. I feel like dream client has come up enough that we need to talk about this real quick. Because one of the questions that I get the most, and I mean, we all know this, like we all know that we need to find a specific person. And I really like thinking about my favorite three clients I've ever worked with and looking at what they have in common um, and really digging into who they are. And like Emily said, where they shop, what they're what they're all about. Um, even really through the braid method, we're looking at specific words they're using. Like that's what we really grab onto is like tone and words. But I'm curious because this seems to be a question that a lot of aspiring creative entrepreneurs ask or or creative entrepreneurs who are at the very beginning of their path or maybe transitioning into a new industry who haven't had dream client experience, how would you tell them to identify very specifically who their dream client is? And how do they start to collect data or information on that person that they've never worked with? It's almost like the imagine you're on a tropical island that imagine you're working with a dream client and they're like, well, I've never had that experience. Exactly. And so what I would say is most people get it wrong because they try to come up with their business. They try to come up with their package. They try to come up with all of this stuff, the sales pages, everything, and then they try to fit that in, the ideal client in at the end. And that's never going to work, right? Because that doesn't, that's that's not feasible. So they're usually getting the process wrong where they're like, oh, I'm going to make all this stuff happen and then I'm just going to find someone to buy it. That is the hardest way for you to do a business and for you to market yourself and for you to sell your stuff, like sell your stuff. So what you really need to be doing is say, okay, I'm going to go in a Facebook group of people that are awesome, uh, cough, being boss, cough, and then... Uh, <laughs> Go in there, start talking to people, start seeing how you could help people in that Facebook group and say like, awesome, cool. All right. So I know that Samantha, random name generated, is struggling to like figure out how she should get her design business off the ground. And by specifically getting it off the ground, she's having trouble figuring out like um, what social media platform she should be promoting on. And so by looking at specific problems, specific people around you have, that allows you to create a solution that they actually want. So what I would say is go into a Facebook group. Again, the Bing Boss one is awesome. And then I want you to go and pick one person that you feel like you can help or start talking to people and then pick one person and then build up your marketing, your sales, your products, your services around that. Because that's going to allow you the ability, again, it's a constraint. It's a constraint to pick one person and build this stuff around it. But that allows you to get more specific, that allows you to create better products and services, that allows you to basically accelerate your growth by being constrained in that way. So I highly recommend it. 
I could also see kind of like ping-ponging this a little bit back and forth. Like, okay, you have an idea of something that you want to do or something that you want to be known for or what you're best at, like your your skill set. Let's say you're a graphic designer. And then what you're really wanting to do is niche down or tailor your offering or even just the way that you attract your dream customers with your content, which is my favorite way to do it. By then going into the Facebook group, seeing what the specific problems are and how do those specific problems, how can you position yourself, like what you're already offering to those specific problems. So I could see it kind of being a little chicken egg or or just ping ponging back and forth and testing out what you have to offer against the positioning that speaks directly to that dream customer. Well, and I think this is like long-term finessing. I mean, even think of like yeah. the clubhouse and the conversations we have, like we see who's been in there. We see who we've, who we've, who we have created it for, who's in there, who's loving it. And so we started with dream customer. We created the thing. We went back to dream customer. We tweaked the thing. We went back to dream customer and tweaked the thing again. And so it becomes like this endless cycle of having those conversations and then serving in whatever way. And I'm so sorry because fire truck just has to be right now. <laughs> I think that evolving is a, a super impar- important part of every business. And I think you're right. Like it is a ping pong. It is a, I'll start here with this first step and this first bit, and then I will move forward with this and then I'll go back and reassess it. And I think the successful businesses keep reassessing and evolving their ideal client, their products, their services, how they provide them, how they sell them. And I think that's why you ladies are so successful because, you know, most people, they're like, oh, I figured it out. I'm done. And that's where businesses die. So I think when one person, like when a business owner is like, oh, I've got this shit sorted 100%, that's when you know things are going bad because you should be constantly evolving and re, you know, reevaluating and making sure that you are on the right track and finding out if you could provide the same services or products better or target in more with one of them. So I just think for beginners, most of them try to go too generic and try to give themselves way too much license or freedom. And really where they should be doing is constraining to one person and learning how to solve one person's problems before moving on to a larger scale. Love it. Amen. Because it's just one person at a time. Like if that's the thing that I could tell a new creative is that you just need that very first customer. You don't need hundreds. You don't even need to maybe entirely book yourself out. You just need that first person that you can best help. And then beyond that, you can see what worked, what didn't work. How do you tweak your positioning? How do you tweak your offering? And then how do you target more people either like that one person or completely not like that one person? Right, exactly. So it just depends on your your marketing model. If you're targeting the same person for three different solutions, you would still talk to them about those three different solutions differently. So like three different packages, three different offers, three different products. Or you take that one thing that you're offering and then you find three other types of people, three other ideal clients that you want to offer that to so that you can expand it and increase its reach and help it. So it's a lot of like design. You might have design clients who target designer, uh, sorry, design designers who target coaches, VAs, you know, um, writers. And then you might have uh, a copywriter that helps somebody with their about page, their sales page, their full website. So it's very much a different structure and model for all those different packages that you can have. Okay, I've got a question. How can we book out our entire schedule? So you once got nine new clients in 72 hours. 
How did that work? Tell us about that. So I love launching and that was one of the first things that I got giddy about when Me I got Me too. Yeah. I love launching, It's guys. amazing. It's one of my favorite things ah. ever. It is so much fun. It's like an amazing <laughs> like money challenge where you're like, I'm going to put this out there and see if the internet will buy it. And it's like, yes, they will buy it once you figure it out. So yeah, so I love launching and that's why I talk so loud when I'm talking about it. But basically, uh, yeah, so I was like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to, I need new clients. I'm going to try something out. I'm going to put this, this limited edition package together. I'm going to sell it for 72 hours and my goal is to get 10. I got 10, but then she pulled out. And so we got nine new clients in, in the space of 72 hours. And the thing is, is that at the time, everybody was telling me that launching took two weeks at least, you know, two weeks to build up maybe, and then two weeks to launch it or four, you know, a full month or like at least two weeks to like put it out there and get people to buy. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do it for three days because if I've seen anything, I've seen that people are really inspired to take action when you give them a very small amount of time to do it. So if you, it's like a cat at the door. If you leave the like, if you leave the door open for that cat, he's just going to stand there in the middle for ages because that's what cats do. Same thing with people. You got to either force them to go in or out, in or out. So that's what the 72-hour thing was about. And um, in terms of structure, it was like, all right, the first day I'm going to send them an email introducing this thing, educating them, exciting them about it. Going to send it to my very tiny newsletter list. I had like 50 people, guys, which is an insane amount of conversion if you think about it. So we had... A very small amount of people, I introduced it to them. I started promoting it on social media. I started counting down right away and being like, you need to sign up now. And then I moved into the next day, which was a webinar that was relevant. Um, and it was really rough. And I'm talking like really rough. Uh, that would allow me to talk to people about what we were going to accomplish after they had done it. So I was like, okay, great. Here's what we're going to work on together. But here's what you need to know that once we're done, you can work on it this way. So I was going to provide the first step when they worked with me, and then I was doing this webinar about the second step after they worked with me. And then I promoted that to my newsletter, kept counting down on social media and telling people about it. Quick question. So your webinar, I need a little bit of clarification here. Was your webinar like a hard sell, this is the thing I'm offering and simply explaining that? Okay, so it's still an informational webinar. 100% value. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was just helping people understand what happened after we worked together and providing more value in a like condensed, highly, because webinars are amazing. And this was like a webinar with me reading off of a workbook. This is not fancy shit at all. So it was just me talking to people and there's probably like 10 people in the webinar and not all of them were clients at all or future clients. And just like educating them about like, hey, this is what you're going to do after we work together. If you want to work together, this is what you'll accomplish. So this is what you need to do to to, uh, complete this cycle. And then the next day I finished it up. I wrapped it up and I said, hey, you know, this is closing up. If you need to get in here, get in here now. We got all 10 of the clients that we were looking to get. And as per most things in life, one of them had to pull out. But we got the full amount of sales we needed in 72 hours. And so not only was that super exciting because business can sometimes be a bit boring if you don't keep you know, jazzing things up and moving them forward. But it was also really validating to see like, yeah, launching can be short, it can be effective, you can get new clients like that. So why not push yourself in terms of your business to do that? So it was really, I I mean, launching for life. I love it. <laughs> can, can we get like a ballpark price point? Yeah. Of like what it was that you were able to book in this way? Yeah, totally. So it was for a one-hour session of teaching them, identifying their future revenue streams and figuring out how they were going to build them out. And then I think I called it the momentum package. I was just like, why not? Um, Had a lot of Picard references, (laughs) a lot of make it so. (laughs) Because I'm a nerd. So I think it was 
$200. But for a list of 50 people who didn't really know me, I hadn't done any sort of pre pre-selling or any sort of warming them up. I was just like, bam, 72 hours. You want it, you get it. And then it was closed and we were good to go. So have you replicated this process with a higher price point or like a longer term engagement or even a digital product? Yeah, I did. Actually, last year I did it for a $9,000 price point and I got uh, two clients in and I only actually did half the sequence. I did two days and I didn't do a webinar and I got two clients. We got 12 applications, but we took two clients on for the $9,000 price point each. So it was 18 k generated in 20, you know, like 36 hours. Nice. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. I love it. So what have you found is like the magic around such a small launch sequence? Because again, like two weeks is normal. It gives people time to read and think and adjust and digest and all of the things. But like, what's the magic of the short one? The short one is not only like really fast paced and exciting, but it also is only works if you're very specific about who you're helping. So again, you cannot be generic. And I think that's why some launches are longer term because they're going generic with it. And they're like, I'm going to help everybody. And it's like, well, it's going to take you a very long time then to sell anybody into this. So they need more time. Whereas specifics, like every time I sat down to the sales page, I was like, okay, I know who I'm going to help. I know who I'm running the sales page for. I know who I'm creating this package for. I know what we're going to accomplish. Um, and I know how we're going to move forward. And so that was really great because even though we had like, we could have taken on more clients in that launch, I was like, they're not going to be able to get the results they need. So being able to pull that plug and say like, yeah, money's great, but if you don't get the results you want from this, then we're both going to be fucked because you need results. I need you to get results. So I'm not going to let you come in. So it worked out really well in that term or in that aspect of it. But, um, yeah, it's basically getting really specific about who it's for because that's how you get that fast action moving forward, getting people in. Love that. Makes sense. All right. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Hallie, where can our listeners learn more about you? Uh, over at evolveandsucceed.com. That is where I hang out primarily. And yeah, and we will have- And tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about Be Booked Out. Okay, cool. So we actually just finished up the launch, which if you're listening to this in the future, it's probably way in the past, but Amazon servers went down yesterday, which is one thing I don't like about launching. <laughs> right? Oh, oh Russia. <laughs> yeah, Russia. <laughs> That's the beauty. Or some fat guy on his bed. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to stereotype, but we think it might be one of the two. <laughs> um <laughs> I definitely think it is anyways. Um, yeah, so Be Booked Out, we just closed up our program. It's a live program for eight weeks where we teach designers and virtual assistants and coaches how to structure their business and their packaging and their marketing so that they get clients in. Because a lot of people get clients in and then they lose them because they haven't treated them right or they don't know how to keep people coming in. And so I teach them how to like fill up a wait list, make sure that wait list can stay around for six months and then book them back in with a couple of emails. So yeah, that's where we're going. And it's an amazing group of people, which is pretty cool. They're so smart. But as you know, you can't be smart at everything. So they need the marketing help. And that's what I help them with. I love that. And I also love the whole concept of your evolve and succeed business. And this idea that like to grow as a business owner, you have to continually evolve. You have to learn new things. You have to try new things. You have to launch new things. You have to have to keep 
doing. Um, so I think that you've tapped into something there that at least I truly believe in. I love it. All right. One more. What makes you feel most boss? Uh, having a project manager, actually. I've had a lot of VAs in the past, and I am not uh, capable of taking care of a VA like a puppy. I just don't know how to you know, treat it right. So when having a project manager and telling me like, hey, don't do that. And I'm like, yeah, okay. That makes me feel most boss because having someone in there who's helping me, who has the same vision as me, allows me to feel like I'm actually part of something bigger than myself. Whereas when you're doing it by yourself, it can feel lonely sometimes. Um, but that's just where I'm at now. When I first started having an inbox full of client emails, it made me feel super boss. But now it's having a project manager on board. Love that. Good. So growing your team. I love it. It's almost like having a boss makes you feel boss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you know what? It's so weird, but that's true because it's like, hey, uh, now that I know what the vision is, it doesn't need, I don't need to be the one being like, hey, you need to do this on time, which made me feel not like the boss. It made me feel like a really bad manager. And so mm-hmm. having a project manager who's like, hey, you need to do this because you had this vision that I'm helping you implement, to me, makes me feel like a boss. Whereas before, I just felt like, yeah, it just felt like. Not I love boss. it. I love it. <laughs> Uh, Hallie, thanks for joining us. It was so fun to reconnect in um, a really smart way. Like you were just so smart and I had no idea because <laughs> the first time we were all so drunk. Right? <laughs> oh, I know, but well, in so my thank you is thank you for knowing how to party. <laughs> for sure. I love the party. Party for profit, kind of too. I love that. Yes. This episode of Being Boss was brought to you by FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. Try it for free by going to freshbooks.com slash beingboss. And special shout out to Meet Edgar. You can try them at meetedgar.com slash beingboss. Thank you for listening to Being Boss. Find articles, show notes, and downloads at www.beingboss.club. If you're a creative entrepreneur, freelancer, or a small business owner who is ready to take your goals to the next level, check out the Being Boss Clubhouse, a two-day online retreat followed by a year of community support, monthly masterclasses, book club, secret episodes, and optional in-person retreats. Find more at www.beingboss.club clubhouse. Thank you so much to our team and sponsors who make Being Boss possible. Our sound engineer and web developer, Corey Winter. Our editorial director and content manager, Caitlin Brame. Our community manager and social media director, Sharon Lukey. And our Being Counter, David Austin. With support from Braid Creative and Indie Shopography. Do the work, be boss, and we'll see you next week.